From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. One of the hurdles that came up, especially in the pandemic, was around quickly escalating training. So as Dr. Fernandez mentioned, our volumes on a status quo, uh, there were a lot of physicians and other providers who were not using virtual visit at all and then overnight needed to. And so the training they may have gotten early on, they, they needed to have retraining or some needed to have new training uh, to get onto the platform, to be able to use it, uh, to have that seamless experience for the patients. And so our teams pulled together training, some of them doing training videos from their cell phones and putting them out via email to the providers. That's Maureen Clancy talking about seamless processes and using technology. We'll hear more from Maureen and Dr. Keith Fernandez on how they're developing processes for leveraging the power of technology for success in value-based care. But first, a word from our sponsors. How much time do you spend in your EHR every day? You could reduce the time you spend documenting in your EHR with accurate speech recognition. Fusion Narrate, powered by Invoke, is a cloud-based speech recognition platform by Dolby that lets you use your voice to take control of your EHR and start getting time back in your day. It's accurate, easy to use, and highly customizable, allowing you to focus on what's really important, patient care. Visit fusionnarrate.com MGMA to see how Fusion Narrate can speech enable your EHR. The COVID-19 pandemic has ushered in dramatic changes for physician practices. During this unprecedented time, many practices are considering what operational changes they need to implement to navigate periods of fluctuating patient volume. Access a thought leadership discussion with R1 and three physician group leaders to hear key learnings on sustaining positive practice performance. To attend this free educational program, visit r1rcm.com slash MGMA. The accelerating growth of value-based financial and quality performance contracts has put the independent private practice of medicine at risk because of the massive administrative burden. In this conversation with Dr. Keith Fernandez, Chief Clinical Officer, Privia Health, and Maureen Clancy, MBA, FACHE, CPC, and Senior Vice President of Operations at Privia Health, will explore how technology, information at the point of care, and robust physician engagement and governance can make managing these complex issues in small practices possible. Dr. Fernandez, Maureen, thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Well, thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you.
Oh, great. Now, we're going to take a deep dive into technology and value-based care, but first, I want to get an understanding of uh, the size and the scope of the practice you guys are working with. Sure, Privia has approximately 2,700 providers across six states and the District of Columbia. Primarily, we are a primary care-based model, which has in our world internal medicine, family practice, OB and pediatrics. And we also include medical specialties that support those primary care practices. And to a lesser extent, we do have surgical specialists as well. Okay. Now, since you have so many different specialties, I've been reading a lot and talking to different practices out there about how certain specialties have been impacted more than other specialties by the pandemic. Is, is that what y'all are seeing at your practice as well? We are from a um, percentage of practices that are working with virtual visits and seeing more virtual care versus in-person care, that's correct. And then some of the specialties were hard hit with people just choosing not to come into the office. Dr. Right. is anything further from your perspective? Yeah, I think, I think we had a couple of particularly, you know, harshly affected uh, specialties. The surgical specialties closed down, couldn't even schedule surgery. And then it's hard to do some of the evaluation before surgery virtually. Some of it actually can be done that way, but when you're gonna take someone to an operating room, I think you want more certainty than you might get uh, virtually. And the other place where we saw a bigger, a bigger hit than I expected actually was pediatrics. Hmm. Um, there was a significant drop in pediatrics, uh, any sort of uh, continuity of wellness, vaccinations, the things that are really important in pediatrics. Um, seem to really uh, to, to go down significantly. Right, and we're going to talk a lot about technology here today, but I want to think about it from a communication standpoint then. What did you guys have to do then to communicate to those patients to make sure they're getting the proper care that they need to make sure that, hey, we've set some uh, protocols up here to make sure things are safe for you. So what were y'all involved in there to... Uh, get that communication channel going? Well, luckily we manage the websites for our practices in cooperation with the practices. And so one of the most important things was getting the word out about safety and about access and making sure that patients knew which practices were open, which were safe, and more importantly, what those practices were doing to prepare for the patients, what the protocol would be when you arrive, should you wait in your car? Should you come into the office? What has the office done in terms of cleanliness and additional protection, not only for the patients, but also for the staff and for the providers? Okay, well, thanks for that. Now, I wanna get a better idea then of what your, your work lives have been like during the pandemic. Uh, Dr. Fernandez, let's start with you then. Where has your primary focus been these last five, six months? Um, well, I think we had the immediate need to do the things that Maureen suggested. We needed to make sure the patients had access to us and knew as much as we could provide them the information about who's up and running, who isn't, and what they should be doing. You know, the mask wearing, washing hands, taking care of themselves. Um, at the same time, if you just imagine this, we had a, a, our workforce, Privia Health Workforce, 
also potentially affected by this virus. But that was a huge change management program because suddenly our usual business was no longer our usual business. We were doing things differently, not seeing patients in the office. We couldn't send our employees to the offices. We needed people who really understood virtual health. That was our primary uh, access to patients and their access to us. Um, so we didn't have enough people to suddenly ensure that all of our physicians, all of our practices knew how to do the virtual health. We had done a lot of work over years, so we were not you know, brand new at this. We thought it was very, very important uh, before COVID. But uh, with that, we had to move uh, certain employees into new roles completely. That means they needed to get educated about what they needed to do. They also needed to be uh, educated about COVID, just like the patients and our doctors needed to be educated. So we had, and I spent a huge amount of my time, Maureen and the other leadership, just communicating. Here's what we know. Here's what we can do. Um, communicating with confidence, not panic, because we know that there are things that you can do to protect yourself and your family. You know, wear a mask, wash hands, stay out of, the, of you know, intense social situations. If you don't have to go to a doctor's office, when there are a lot of sick people going to a doctor's office, can we find another way to take care of you? And all, all of this is just a you know, massive amount of communication. Um, the team did really, really well with that. Uh, the websites were critically important so that when a patient wanted to just find out anything, they knew what we're thinking about immediately. And then the other big thing that we did was with our physicians, as I said, we were working on virtual health for a couple of years. It was a, a physician-driven strategy that we should have that capability. We had a great boost of that capability during Hurricane Harvey. Um, it became a critically important thing for just one of our markets. And so we got much more intense about it then. But like a lot of people, we thought it was still being underutilized. The imperative wasn't there until COVID struck. I think the impressive number for me is 144 um, virtual visits per week before COVID, 8,000 a day wow. after COVID. <laughs> um, and you can imagine all the work that had to be done to make that happen. Some of that, you know, what, what are your employees doing now? Well, they're not doing what they were doing yesterday anymore. Um, so, um, so I think that, uh, I think the most important thing was communicating both with each other and the leadership and then with all of our uh, stakeholders, including patients. Yeah, Maureen, I, I think Dr. Fernandez has explained a lot that's been going on, but for you specifically then where within that communication and, and the other pieces of operations, where have you been focused then? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of work on patient-facing priorities, as Dr. Fernandez um, already alluded to. In addition, we had advocacy efforts going on. Obviously, there was a lot of changes coming out of the federal government, other payers. We wanted to make sure that we had a team that was dedicated to the advocacy efforts and everything from CARES Act funding to reviewing all the changes uh, that were coming out from the payers, most notably from CMS. In addition, we quickly put into place uh, a coding update, an online tool for all of our providers so that they could keep up with the myriad of changes that were happening sometimes daily, changes in reimbursement, what was covered, what wasn't covered, uh, funding for patients with COVID who were uninsured and 
We stood up a team to file claims with HRSA, for example, for them. So a lot of operational aspects of managing through this pandemic. And as Dr. Fernandez said, uh, folks' jobs changed and pivoted very quickly. So it was, it was all about how could we help our patients, not only just with the clinical aspects of it, but also on the administrative aspects, on the revenue aspects, uh, the billing and coding aspects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that you wrote to us was talking about seamless processes. That is a, an ultimate goal that we wanna have in, uh, in using technology it's not always easy to get there to, you can come up with a process, but there are gonna be some hurdles, there are gonna be some roadblocks or stumbling blocks along the way. So talk about that then. What are some of the issues that you had? You were talking about, you had this virtual care, you were already putting it in place all the way going back to 2016, 2017. There are gonna be some bumps there though. So how did you address those? What were some of those and, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, that's a great question, and it uh, is something to look back uh, through our history because the virtual visit platform we have today clearly was not the same one we had two or three years ago, and so it took a little bit of going back into the memory bank on this. But I think one of the hurdles that came up, especially in the pandemic, was around quickly escalating training. So as Dr. Fernandez mentioned, our volumes on a status quo, uh, there were a lot of physicians and other providers who were not using virtual visit at all and then overnight needed to. And so the training they may have gotten early on, they, they needed to have retraining or some needed to have new training uh, to get onto the platform, to be able to use it, um, to have that seamless experience for the patients. And so our teams pulled together training, some of them doing training videos from their cell phones and putting them out via email to the providers. We also had a team of people who were focused on training the patients. And so we had care advisors and nurse care managers who would sit on the phone with patients and explain to them how best to get onto the technology so that they could have this face-to-face -face visit. And so, Luckily, we had a lot of people in the organization that knew this platform. We had others that learned it very quickly, and I think to the betterment of um, all these, all of our patients. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the other things that you've talked about with us is physician engagement. I mean, really, if you want this to work, you've got to have engaged physicians. You've got to have the buy-in from them. What does that look like in your practice? How did you get everybody on board and, and continue to engage with them, continue to uh, utilize some of those tools. I know Dr. Fernandez earlier, you were saying that's not always what the physicians want to be doing is tapping away and, uh, you know, clicking away. But um, if it's a necessary evil, then uh, how have you gotten that buy-in from them? Uh, I think that, uh, over the years, we've learned um, that the best, uh, the best way to get a physician to buy into something is to let them solve the problem. And I don't mean it in a negative way, but I mean, if I have a, a problem in healthcare, I'm a physician too, and the one thing I've learned is that there are a lot of physicians smarter than me, but if I have a problem, the thing to do is to educate the physicians about it and then say, look, you know, this is your area. How would you solve this problem? What's the right thing to do? 
they're very consistent. The most important thing in every conversation with physicians is the patient. It is universal. It's not occasional. It's virtually every doctor thinks that way. And so when you solve a problem um, and you're thinking of the final goal, which is to take great care of a patient, you're going to get a much better answer than if you're trying to solve you know, a financial deal down here. Yeah, there's a, there may be a financial problem. There may be a technologic problem. But the real solution has to address what's that going to do to make a patient better. So what we, what we have done, I think, during before the, uh, the pandemic, we have something called the National Physician Advisory Council uh, that helps guide us in the technology. Virtual health was one of the things where that, the leadership position said we have to do that. Um, there was some reluctance many years ago, you know, is it really going to be important uh, or not? Um, they've led us in really important ways into um, very important clinical issues and around diabetes advanced illness management, um, and a variety of other clinical programs for pediatrics. But I think the best thing you can do with physicians is listen to them, ask for help. And then the other thing that uh, we have done is uh, begun uh, governance training about, you know, what are the important concepts about governance? It does make you think differently about your everyday job and physician leadership training. I think, uh, I think a lot of people expect that leaders are born and they're almost never born. They're shaped and formed by their life experience and, but also by their education and training. How do, you, how do you solve those problems? So we have uh, this concept and this pandemic really changed a little bit about the way I think about that. I had my small group of leadership positions, highly bought in. I had a broader group of leadership positions, I think the up and coming people who are going to be important for the company. Um, and I think since the pandemic, we communicated town halls, sometimes a couple of times a week, we had town halls and updates. We had uh, more meetings than I can possibly imagine. And the outcome of that, I think, was just remarkable. I think that we've never heard such good things from our doctors. We've never received so many thanks. We thank them, of course, every day that we're here because of them. Uh, but they began to realize that working together, you know, as a team, a company, a medical group, had great uh, benefits for their practice, for their patients. Um, and so I think what I've been doing since then is instead of having the National Physician Advisory Council with my leadership docs, I'm having the Market Physician Advisory Council and bringing as many doctors who, who want to come into this discussion about what should we do. We've, we've got some great things going on. Again, accelerating the future, thinking about the way we get paid, for instance. You know, should we get paid fee-for-service, really? It's, Privia has not been interested in fee-for-service to any substantial uh, effect for quite some time, but we have to live with it. Wouldn't it be better to not have this uncertainty? In this pandemic, taking care of a patient without worrying about a physical visit, you know, uh, to pay you, if you just were in a capitated type of environment, for instance, um, just to make all the difference, then your goal is very, very simple, right? It's take care of that patient. That's what counts. If you can get them virtually, get them virtually. If they need to come in, get them to come in, but just do what is necessary to take care of the patient. And don't worry about, you know, the, the doldrum or the, the, the very, what I think of as a doctor, very boring revenue cycle stuff. Maureen is an expert in that, and bless her, that's the only reason I've been able to survive as a doctor. But um, 
but I think it really has helped accelerate uh, that, and our physician leadership is driving this. Okay. Yeah, I, I hear a recurring theme here. You, you've mentioned it and, and hinted around at it is empowerment, whether it's empowering those physicians, if, whether it's empowering the staff or the patients. So they all, everybody's educated and they know what's going on and they're kind of shaping and customizing things as well. Um, Maureen, I want to I go to you for this next question. Um, how do you know that things are working? I mean, how do you measure it? What are the KPIs that you're looking at? Um, give us an idea of that. Yeah, so Privia was founded back in uh, late 2013 at Privia Health and, and from that Privia Medical Groups, basically off a whiteboard. And one of the founding principles is that we need to measure everything. We need to have quarterly key performance indicators. We need to hold people accountable. And this has been in our DNA from the beginning. So nothing really changed during the pandemic per se. However, the metrics that we were looking at were things like the virtual visits relative to in-person visits. We were looking at that discrepancy among all the specialties and seeing you know, where did we need potentially more help um, and things like that. We were also looking obviously at cash, cash coming in, making sure that we were staying on top of that. So all of our revenue cycle metrics took on um, an escalated value, if you will, uh, for a period of time. It was all hands on deck um, to bring in all the cash. So we're paying particular attention at working any claims that were stuck or any AR that was aging out. Um, and everybody really, um, you know, worked very, very difficult, very, very hard and, and attentively to, uh, to all of that. Um, you know, we we're making sure our access for the patients was sufficient. And if we had practices that were closed, were there other practices where patients could be seen or could we have some coverage, things like that. So all of those, um, not just the financial, but, but more so the patient aspects, we wanted to make sure that we were we're staying in tune with that so that we knew where we needed to jump in to help, whether it was our practice management team, our care advice team, the physicians themselves. Okay. Now we've covered a lot of bases here. It's been a lot of information. So I wanted to get some final thoughts from each of you. Maybe one idea um, for our listeners, a, a first step or some first steps that you believe they should be taking um, Dr. Fernandez, do you want to give us some idea? What's some encouragement or advice you'd give our listeners? Um, in, in reference to uh, um, the pandemic, I think the advice is fairly simple. First of all, over-communicate, never under-communicate. Um, I, uh, I, I think that it's really important that we follow the science as much as we can follow science in a rapidly changing environment. And for me, that means I have a little comfort that I don't have if it's not that. In other words, I know that in an infection, if I wear a mask, if I stay away from bad situations and I wash my hands, I know I can protect myself. I think that's huge and usually important for everybody. The other thing I think that we learned in Harvey was if you want to lead people through a crisis, you better have a team who's ready and willing to do that. And I think that we learned in Harvey very quickly that um, getting a few leadership positions organized very rapidly will help. And then a whole team uh, with, again, over communication on what's going on, what's going right, what's going wrong, 
uh, is, is critical. So I would focus on developing a team that can do that, uh, a very agile team that can do what Maureen, you know, does is switch, switch from this job to that job because that's the job that needs to be done and she's well-trained in doing it. That's probably the, the uh, most important thing, I think. Okay. Maureen, what, what about you? What is the final thought on some steps our listeners can take? You know, I think that um, Dr. Fernandez said it very well, communication with a positive but realistic focus. People need to hear exactly what's going on, what are we doing, and how can they help. There's an ability and a willingness to help, especially in a pandemic. And so deploying uh, folks into different roles, for example, is, is very important. And reassuring everybody that we're going to get through this. It's a different way of working. It's a different way of living. Uh, I think daily chats, we've seen that in a lot of instances where, th where this has been very positive because people like to hear what's going on. They like to be reassured that somebody is in control. There is a plan, even though the plan may be changing every day, there is a plan. And we have a team that's focused on getting through this. And I think that positivity, that realistic positivity and over-communication are, are things that are definitely of, of great value, especially in times of crisis. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guests, Maureen Clancy and Dr. Keith Fernandez. Thanks to Dolby and to R1RCM for sponsoring this week's show. Visit fusionnarrate.com slash MGMA to see how Fusion Narrate can speech enable your EHR. And access a thought leadership discussion with R1 RCM and three physician group leaders to hear key learnings on sustaining positive practice performance. To attend this free educational program, visit r1rcm.com slash MGMA. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership.